join us, we've been doing a series um, that's been a fun series for me. I've never done a series like this, so it's, it's a unique challenge. It's called Make Me Like. And in the Make Me Like series, what we've been trying to do is look at different people in Scripture. A lot of times we read about the patriarchs and the different people in Scripture, the saints, if you will, and we go, man, they seem so far removed. I can't relate to them. They, they must be like super Christians or super spiritual people. And the reality is, is they're people just like you and me. And when we look at their lives, not only just in a little snippet inside of scripture, but also look at their lives in a broader sense, we get to really understand what it was like for them to live out their faith. So last week, what we did was we specifically looked at Paul. Pastor Danny preached that here. I got to preach that in Mardell, and I also got to ordain uh, Dustin as a new pastor there in that um, city, which is so fun to do. But we talked about that uh, Paul's life and the investment he made in so many people. And that was exciting. And this is part of a campaign where we are hoping and praying that you will grow with us, not only by hearing about these relationships, but also by going deeper and talking about them. So one of the things that we asked you from the very beginning was get in a group. And I was talking to Tony Werner, and he was letting me know that about 10 of you said, got in a group that weren't in a group. So amen. 10 of you got in a group that weren't. There's another group launching. That's a new group that's going to be birthed actually this coming month. And so there were at least three new groups that were birthed out of that. Now, why do I push groups? Here's why I push groups. I don't push groups because it's a program. I don't push groups because it's a system. I don't push groups so I can have greater control over your life because that's sure not happening in groups, okay? Because y'all are all over the place. You'll find out about our groups. I push groups because that's where you really get to live your life. That's where you really get to understand what it means to be a believer. I've told people this. I stand behind this. They've told me I'm crazy for saying it. But if you have to pick between being here on a Sunday... And be in a group, pick a group. You know why? Hard to hide in a group. Hard not to be real in a group. They get to know you. And, I, and my concern for you as a pastor is I want you to grow to be more like Jesus. And that's why I believe in groups so much. Another thing I believe in is that God calls us to unique seasons of sacrifice. And during this campaign, during this series, one of the things that we're doing, some of you know, because sometimes people think the church is all about money, but no, we've actually exhausted our emergency fund and we're trying to replenish that. So if you're a member of the church, there's information about that and how we're gonna replenish that through this capital campaign. I'm gonna talk to you more about that as time goes on, but I wanna tell you a brief story. Money is never about money. Has anybody ever figured that out about the spiritual church? Let me tell you what money is. Money is something that sometimes has a captive uh, dynamic on us. And so when we ask you to give to something like a spiritual campaign to actually replenish the emergency fund, let me tell you what's behind that. There's a moment to give God space for you to fast and for you to pray and then for him to show up in a way that will surprise you. So for us, let me tell you the story how this worked because I've been able to fast and pray about this longer because you just found out this is coming at you with this campaign. So my wife and I said, what are we going to give? We're not wealthy people. Y'all can relate to that? Amen? Okay, we're not millionaires, okay? So what did we do? We said we were going to build a deck on this fall. We'd saved up money. Where's my Ramsey people? Dave Ramsey people? Cash, cash, okay? I'd saved up my cash. It was in my envelope. Okay, that's more Larry Burkettish, but okay, it was there. And so we had saved up a couple grand that we said we're going to build a deck, and we were excited about building a deck. Now, why are we excited about building a deck? If you live at my house and you walk outside, there's a good chance you'll get bit by a copperhead. I'm not kidding. We've killed 15 since I've lived there. It's a big old creek behind us, and uh, that's just the way it works at our place. So my wife's like, I'd like to be able to walk out there without a flashlight and not get the chance of being bit. I said, that's fair. So we prayed, though, and we said... God said, that's a luxury, not a need. And that sounds crazy. And so he asked us to give that to the church campaign. 
So we set that aside. We fasted, though. Here's the key. We fasted, we prayed, and we agreed. God wants us to sacrifice that. Then I said, God, what do you want me to sacrifice monthly? And let me tell you the game I played with God on this, and then we'll get into the message. I said to God, hey, here's my tithe. You know that. Here's how I give 10% of the church. Okay, I give that to my church. But then we give to other ministries outside of that. We give to Young Life. Thank you, Jake. Uh, we give because we believe in the mission of Young Life. We give to Campus Crusade for Christ because we believe in what they're doing. And we also give to another organization. And so what I did was I played a game with God. I don't know if you've ever done this. I put it all before God and said, which one do I get rid of so I can give to the church? This is what I did. I'm just being confessional with y'all. And I thought, we'll rearrange how we'll do that. And then I'll give that to the church and we'll be good with the campaign. And my wife said, I don't think God's in that. I'm like, you're probably right. And we prayed some more. And what God asked me to do without telling you the amount was, and it was crazy when he did this, we prayed together and he said, I want you to double your generosity outside the church. And I'm like, I can't afford to do it, God. He's like, I know, that's what I do though. And so I won't tell you how, what that works like, but we'll be doubling our generosity to the, to the church in the campaign. Why? Because whenever I do something like that and God says to do it, he shows up in the middle of it. That's really what that's about. So I don't want you to hear that that's what this is about. It's not about money. It's about seeing God show up during the campaign in unique ways for you. If you're a person you've never given to the church and you're in debt and you're like, I can't even figure out how to get out of this, then probably giving the campaign is not your deal. I'm just going to tell you right now. Your deal should have been you should have signed up when Lauren said, I'm going to do a financial peace university course with her hubby. Because our goal is we want you out of debt. We want you to a place that you can say yes to God when God shows up for unique opportunities. That's, that's where our heart is. That's what this campaign's about. Another thing we just did, y'all served 350 meals to this community just a week ago. And I know Pastor Danny mentioned that. And we had countless prayers over people. And each month we're going to missionally engage to love the community around us. So that's what this campaign's about. It's about gathering together, growing in group, giving sacrificially so God can show up, and then going missionally so we can encounter people and pray with them. So what's today about? What's week three in this series? It's about two leaders, Moses and Joshua. Let me give you some background because you've never heard these guys, okay? Because some of you, I don't want to assume you've ever read the Bible, some of you have never cracked it, okay? Moses is one of the most famous prophets, prophets in just about antiquity, in almost every major faith, they have some connection to Moses. It's very interesting. His name means to draw out. If you don't know his story, he was abandoned. Okay, He was orphaned. Um, the, the, the Egypt um, rulers wanted to kill all the babies. You can read about that in Exodus. It's a pretty cool story. And uh, what they did was his mom's like, I don't want him dead. Put him in the river, floats him down, and another lady pulls him out, which is why his name is to draw out. And what happened was he was sent back to his original people, the Jewish people, and he became the major giver of the law. So historically, what this guy did, if you read a Bible, the first five books that you crack, those are books that were authored by Moses. So by many, he's considered, in many ways, the father of the law, of, of what we see in Scripture. Joshua was the guy that followed him. He, he's got a pretty cool name. His name means the Lord saves. And if you break his name down in the name we would use today, his name actually is... Jesus, it's the same name. And so Joshua, his name means he saves. He was put in charge of taking the land that God gave to Israel, to actually having conquest over it. So these are two different men with two different tasks that were related, but there's some similarities and some major differences in their lives. And so I want to just walk you through those. I think there's a lesson for you or for me, especially in this area. So here's the thing that was similar about these two men. One, they were intimate with God. 
And I'm not going to put these passages up for you. I'm just referencing them for you if you want to go back and read them. Exodus 3, 2 through 5, and Joshua 5, 13 through 15. And what we see in these two encounters about these two men who had an intimate relationship with God was it impacted everything. Let me give you it um, in a way that maybe is more secular. Um, if you grew up in the last, uh, let's say, 30, 40 years, okay, I don't know if younger people will know this phrase, so I'm curious to see if you'll know this phrase. Older people will definitely know this phrase. You'll be able to complete it. But behind every great man, okay, good. Has the younger people heard that before? Okay, so behind every great man, is a great woman. So it was something that came out of, of course, the greatest generation. It definitely impacted my generation. But what's behind the idea is you see a really great guy during especially a, a, um, a patriarchal society that we had for many years. And they said, that dude could have never done what he did if he didn't have an exceptional wife, right? Now, why is that true? <laughs> Somebody said, uh-huh. Why is that true? It's true because in their intimacy of their relationship, they both grew. I would say behind every great woman, we hope as a great husband and man, I would hope so, that it goes the other way today. But some of y'all are not looking like that's true. That's okay. That's why we want them to grow and be in group. Why do I bring this up? Moses encountered God in an intimate way. Anybody know how he encountered him in that text? The burning bush. And so God presented himself to Moses in this unique way. He presented him in a fire that was in the bush, but not consuming the bush. And in that moment, he met God in a very intimate way. Do y'all remember what he did? It was such a holy place. What was he supposed to do? Amen. Now you know why. Okay, now you know the why. Joshua meets God in a different way, he meets him through an encounter called the angel of the Lord. Now, if you're new to scripture and you're just starting to read scripture, when you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, not always, but often, it's talking about something very unique. In fact, sometimes it's talking about Jesus before he came in the flesh and how he chose to then reveal himself to people before he came in the flesh. This is one of those instances with Joshua. And Jesus meets Jesus, figure that one out, okay? As they're about to go into a city. Do you remember what the city was? Jericho. And they're supposed to take the city. And Joshua's ready to go. I mean, he's got the military strategy. He's got his sword. He's getting ready to run in. And then he meets the angel of the Lord. And he says, hey, put away your sword, Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. And if you'll put out your sword and you'll let me do the work, I'll take the city for you. So both of them had this intimate, dependent relationship on God. It's key. How did they get it? They spent time with God. They hung out with God. Now that's not changed for you and I. How do we have an intimate relationship with God? It's not by praying a prayer today, hopefully that you will, to put your faith in Jesus. It's not by showing up to a group. It's not by being baptized. It's not by doing all the religious stuff that you think you're supposed to do to gain favor with God. You have an intimate relationship with God by actually spending time with God. And he's written this amazing book called the Bible. And when you and I open it and we ask for the spirit of God to reveal the heart of God, he actually speaks to us. He talks to us. He reveals his heart to us. 
This is why at our church we call it a hang time. You may have heard it called a quiet time. But when you sit and you read God's word and you pray and you just spend time with God, you commune with him. The intimacy grows. This is true of everybody. Anybody that does this, you will find God. What's interesting is I have a lot of people who are like, I don't believe in God. If you don't believe in God, if you struggle with a relationship with God, I'm going to challenge you to do something that has nothing to do with what the preacher is going to tell you to do, but has everything to do with what you're going to do with a personal relationship with God. I double dog dare you. Open up the gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Before you do so, say, God, I don't even know if I believe in you, but I'm going to read this book. I think it's just a book, but I'm asking you to reveal your heart and your truth to me. If you're real, make it so. And then you read that gospel and see what God does. That's how much I believe in the hang time and the word of God. And when we do that, it deepens our relationship. One of the ways that we rewrote the class today, if you're taking the class today, gathering with grace at one, we actually teach you how to have a hang time in the class. We practice it. We do it together. Because I believe so much in this, and it's the foundation of how God speaks to us as a church and as a, as a people, that I want you to be able to get as much out of it. And I want you to think about the hang time this way, church. The creator of the universe waits every day to spend time with you. Think about that. Every day he wants to spend time with you. And when you open the word and you pray, he meets you. He can't wait to meet you. Second thing we see in this relationship with Joshua and Moses is they were faithful in prayer. And you see this faithfulness lived out in Numbers 14 and in Joshua 7. Again, I'm not putting these up because it's a longer verse I've been giving to you if you want to research and look at it later. But it's a pretty good verse. And I think in the church, our prayer life is not where it should be. And I'm going to be very confessional in this section for you, as well as almost repentant. Hopefully, you'll, you'll give me some grace. I think prayer is something that's broken in the church. It was not broken in their two lives. It wasn't broken for the lives of people I see that are intimate with God, but it's broken inside the church. When you read most churches' prayer lists and you talk to most small groups and you ask them, what are y'all praying for? Almost everybody I know is praying for the aches and the pains and the o's and the woes. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like what's broken, what needs to be fixed, what doctor I'm visiting, what fluid just got drained out of my back. It's like that stuff, okay? That's what's in most of our prayer life as a church. That's one of my hobbies. Somebody will tell you, it's crazy. Pastor Tony, I'll go into a church, and if I see they got a prayer sheet, I love to pick it up and read it. I'm like, I'm, I'm begging that there's something there other than aches, pains, woes, and woes. And it's very infrequent that I find it. It's very infrequent that I see people praying in alignment with God's promises, in alignment with God's word, in alignment with God's heart, in alignment with God's mission. And that's something I think that needs to change. And when you look at Moses and you look at Joshua, they prayed in alignment with God and they were more concerned about God's reputation than they were their own. Did you pick that up? It's so interesting. So the two examples I've given you are ones where they intercede for the people because the people are being stupid. That's, I'm just paraphrasing for you, but that's what the passage says. God is ticked with the people. And Moses is before him saying, Lord, I know what they're like. I'm one of them. I know what they're like, okay? But don't nuke them. Don't crispy critter them right now. Look, it won't be good for your reputation. You just got them out of Egypt, okay? Don't do that. He intercedes for the people. He's, and he says, and by the way, don't do it because they don't deserve it because they deserve it. He says, don't do it because it'll mar your reputation, now that says something very different in his prayer life than what we see in the church, doesn't it? Then you get to Joshua, oh my gosh. And the passage I gave you for that one is something called the sin of Achan. Mm. 
So there was hidden sin in the camp and God wouldn't bless the people because somebody was doing something stupid. They were doing something very sinful and they actually had to get the tribes out and put them all out and say, okay, we're gonna do a whole lot thing. You ever notice how much gambling intersects with the Bible? Sometimes it's weird, isn't it? Okay, they're like throwing dice. It's like craps down there. Okay, it's, it's just odd how they did that. I'm not saying that God justifies gambling. Don't hear me. I'm just saying it's weird. They're chunking dice sometimes, even when they picked one of the apostles. But, but when you look at this, they find that there's one particular a uh, group of the Israelites, one particular tribe where there was sin in the camp. And they had to deal with it in a harsh way. But in the prayer life of Joshua, the whole time, he's interceding for the people and he's praying that God's reputation will be good among them. We don't pray like that. And when I look at them, it, it, it's, it's convicting just to be honest with you, to be transparent with you. How often do we as a church family gather and pray that way? Whether it's in group or our Sunday gathering or when we gather with other people to pray one-on-one, how often do we pray those kind of prayers? How often do we prioritize prayer corporately or in our group? I was confessing this to our teaching team about our group. So you know our group, I don't know how your group works, but our group, food comes first. <laughs> so we eat, okay? <laughs> then after we eat, we hang. Then after we hang, we usually then, you know, talk a little bit about life, and then we open up a scripture verse, then we talk about the scripture verse. And then by the time we get all the way to the end, we go, oop, we got to pray. And we got like this much time to pray. And then my wife whips out, as you all know, the pink pig book. And then she writes down the prayer concerns. And we pray briefly just to get them all in. And then hopefully we'll look at them again during the week and we'll come back to pray for them. Your prayer life maybe is probably better than that. But I felt ashamed that I'm the pastor and that's what our prayer life looks like as a group. And so I had to confess it to my group, confess it to your teaching team. And then I confessed it to our group. I said, that's why we're going to start every group now first with prayer. That way... If we run out of something, we'll run out of time to eat, which that could help me, okay? That could help me if we run out of time to eat, but not out of time to pray. Another thing that's happening that's very encouraging for me in this area is we have a group that launched, uh, Brother Jim knows it, Marcy knows it, that's only for prayer. It meets on Tuesdays. What a beautiful thing that launched out of this series. A group whose only purpose is to gather, to pray, and they want to make it a ministry where they go out and go to nursing homes and to the people that aren't getting prayed for and to take the ministry and the service of prayer to people that want it. Because let me tell you, people want prayer. The whole time we were doing the outreach, I don't know if y'all were there, some of you were there, some of you weren't, I tried to hang out toward the end of the line when people were getting their food. And all I would ask them is, hey, can I pray for you? Not one person told me no. People so desire and want the power of prayer in their life. And somehow in the church, we've relegated it and we don't need it. We need to make it central to our worship service. We need to make it central to our gatherings and groups. We need to get central to our families. And you see that in these two lives, men. The third thing I saw in their lives is this. They were called to lead. They were called to lead. Exodus 24 and Joshua 24, you can look those up later. Great chapters where you get to see the leadership of these two men and how it challenged everyone around them. What does it mean to lead? If I were to ask you, give me your definition of leadership. What's your definition? We make it into stuff it's not. Leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. And every one of you have influence. 
in a circle, in a family, in a ministry, in a community, at your work. You have influence with people. If you have influence, then you have a stewardship. The stewardship idea of how you, how you actually manage that is what we call leadership. Moses was given the stewardship of giving the covenant, of giving the promise. And he was to say, here's the covenant. If you'll live by God's standard, if you'll live by God's law, then God will bless you in this way. That was essentially the original covenant that Moses gave to Israel. And when he gave it to him, what he was doing was he was showing them the character of God. This is God's character. This is God's heart. And if you'll align with that, God will surely bless you. Joshua comes along. He's going to take the land. And then as he's ending his season as the military leader, he says, oh, by the way, don't forget, this is the covenant that Moses gave us. And we're to be faithful to that covenant. This is interesting to me because I got to tell you, in the modern culture we live, one of the things that we are is a covenant people. If you're coming to grace for the first time unapologetically, I'm going to tell you, we're a covenant people. And we ask our people when they actually go through our first class to join in covenant relationship with us and with God to see their life grow. Why are we a covenant people? I'm going to tell you why. Because the Bible over and over and over and over again has covenants. How do you grow? When you put a stake in the ground and you say, I'm going to have a promise before God and before this assembly in this way. And when you covenant together like that, God sees that and he says, ha, someone who's serious about my mission. Someone that's not there just to consume and see what they can get but to see where they can join and forward the mission of God. That always happens in a covenant relationship. You ever notice there's no one in the Bible says, I make a covenant with you, God, bless me now. It's almost always connected to some aspect of the people. That's why, and that's why we need faithful leaders like them that are called to still call people to a modern covenant. One of the things that um, I wanted to, I was telling our pastoral team, that I needed to do in this message was apologize to you as a church. I, I believe that um, apologies are not expensive. They just cost you a little bit of pride. And um, I've learned that uh, God always honors that. One of the areas I felt like I needed to apologize on, I was telling them, was we've been for a long time trying to find leaders to fill roles. Y'all with me? We've asked and asked and asked to we're blue in the face for new deacons, and it's been tough to find people that want to step into the role of deacon. We've had a few people who have stepped up to be trained to be pastors that we've been able to send out. We've even felt, I felt the pressure to restructure our entire leadership system to try to figure out how to, to make us more effective and uh, move forward as a church. And, and here's the part I need to ask your forgiveness for. I was thinking so much about structure and process and systems and all those pieces and trying to get my head around it that I forgot really what we should be doing is just asking people that feel that they have influence if they want to be developed. Just want to develop you as a leader to see what God wants to do with your life and your influence to expand his kingdom. That's really where we should have been the whole time. I needed to be kind of hit in the head with a two by four. I sat down recently with a friend of mine over lunch and I was lamenting on this. I was like, I need leaders in this area and this area and this area. And I don't have them. I've been trying to find them and looking for them. And golly day, the church is just wearing me out. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if you know me, I like people, and I like preaching and teaching. These are the things God gifted me to do. That other stuff, I can do it, but it sucks the living life out of me. Y'all there? You know what I'm talking about? And I need other people to do that because 
I'm not good at that, and it just draws energy from me. And I'm going to put together the area I need to ask for forgiveness for from you and also what I just said about prayer. And this friend across the table from me, and this is why you need to be in group and relationship with people, said, well, you've been praying about it? Have you been specifically asking God to bring you the specific leaders that you know that you're supposed to have to do these things? And I'm like, no. I really want to get up and leave at that point, okay? I'm like, that sounds kind of oversimplified, but he was absolutely right. So one of the things that I'm looking at this message, I'm like, gosh, God's slapping me in the face first before he hits y'all with it. He's calling people to lead, but people aren't going to step into leadership unless they know someone's going to equip them to do it. Our focus can't be the role. It's got to be on the investment. And so one of the things that we're going to be launching, I'll tell you more about as time goes on, I'm going to give you a chance to get a hold of it. We're going to be launching something called um, Grace's Leadership Pilot. And I'm working with a couple different leaders who are very gifted leaders to create a track for people that want to grow in their leadership. And you don't have to be in a specific role, but if you feel called that God's calling you to step forward in his kingdom to lead in greater ways, we're going to launch this track in January because we're writing it right now. But here's the bad news. We've already decided because we don't have enough leaders to lead it, we can take no more than four to eight people. So I'm going to release it today. I'll send it out to you. If God's calling you to be that person, we want to invest in you. But because of how intense it's going to be and how much energy it takes from each of us to invest in those leaders, we can only take eight folks. If you're one of them, you're going to get a chance today. Make sure I have your email before you leave. It's on your card. If I don't have it, you put it in the offering box. Because I'll send you an invite, and those are the people we're going to invest in, and we're going to see where God calls them and how God's going to equip them as we invest in them. That's one of the things I needed to say sorry for because I should have been doing that the whole time and not getting bogged down by all of the administrative stuff. And it's easy to do. I don't know if you've been there, but it's easy to do that. And the fourth thing is this. When you look at them, and I think this is the most significant thing. I'm already running out of time, but we're going to spend time here anyway. I should ask forgiveness, Lauren, now. Go tell them now. Go put on some movies. Um, This is the difference in their two of their lives. They left different legacies. They left different legacies. So there was the similarities in the first three. The fourth one is this is the difference in Moses and Joshua. Deuteronomy 34, 7 through 9, and Judges 2, 8 through 9. I want to read these with you for a second. These two men, I want you to think about this, had all these similarities, but this is the one difference, and I think that's significant. Here's the one out of Deuteronomy 34. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Wow. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Pretty cool, huh? That's the legacy of Moses to Joshua. Now here's Joshua's death. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. He almost got there. Um, And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim. North of Mount Gash. That's how they say it, Nori. That's actually how you say it. After the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, which is another foreign god. What's the difference, church family, between Moses and Joshua? 
the laying on of hands, which was for a specific purpose. It was to actually invest in a leader that would take the principles of Israel into the next generation. It's interesting to me that this is what ended it. A lot of people have asked me as a church leader, what's your plan for succession planning? Because that's a big thing in churches, by the way. Like, who's going to lead when you're not there? That's what a succession plan is. I've never believed in succession planning because when I've seen people do it, it's horrible. Here's how normal succession plans work, if you've ever been in a church. The person that's there is there until they're really old and they're ready to die. And then they say, I'm going to retire and have some fun fishing. Good luck, church family. And they leave. Does this sound familiar? And then the church says, oh, crap, let's go find somebody. Who are we going to find? That's how it works. Or the pastor says, I'm burned out, done. I'm leaving. Good luck. Have a good time, church family. Or, you know what? I'm ready to retire. Good luck. See you. This is what normally happens. And then, or it happens this way. We'll go find someone outside the organization from another place, from another place in the world. We'll hire them, bring them in. This is what it looks like. Instead of, hey, are you investing in leaders the whole time? So that when God says to you, move here, move here, go here in the next season, that you already have four or five leaders that actually run your church. The one of the largest churches in the United States who I'm intimately acquainted with failed in this area miserably. They had all of these leaders in their church, but they never invested in them. They filled roles and holes. And then all of a sudden, they waked up on their side of a guy who had over 40 years of ministry. He says, it's time for me to retire. And they had to go outside of their organization to another church plant, which was in their city, to find a leader. That shouldn't be that way. They should have been within their organization, their church family found the leader that God had raised up. I've seen that same problem in churches that I've been a part of, <coughs> which is why <coughs> we've got to shift our goal to investing in people. So here's my last thought for you and why this whole new idea of Grace's leadership pilot becomes so important. Every generation needs freedom and investment. They need both. They need both. What do I mean by that? I mean this. If you're a younger person here or your person wants to lead, I want you to know you get freedom in our church to lead. Um, Pastor Danny and I were hanging out with a guy recently that we were trying to help in this area of leadership. He's like, well, what are the boundaries? What's the rails? And we're like, nope, just whatever we can do to help you, this is the goal. And, and they just couldn't believe that we were ready to equip them to that level because they've been in so many churches that told them this is the only way you can lead within these boundaries. I think this generation especially, you want freedom to lead. You want, create, you want to be, have, be able to creative. But you also want someone who's older than you to invest in you, to pour into you. And that's why we want to make this commitment. So here's what I want to do to end our time together, uh, just to, to, to see how God moves in this. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. If you've got a phone, you can open it real quick. Here's how we're going to end our time together on the area of leadership development. There's a famous prayer in Matthew 6. Anybody know what it is? Matthew 6, verse 9, if you want to look it up. And it's 9 through 13. And this is something, if you grew up in a liturgical church, you know this prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It, more accurately, the Lord's Prayer should probably be described as the model prayer, right? Because the Lord's real prayer is in John when he actually intercedes for the church and wants us to have oneness. But when we look at this prayer, I think it gives us a guideline for how we can pray forward, church family, right now in the area of leadership. And I want to lead you in a moment. I'm going to ask, where's my, where's my brother with keys? Come on. I want you to play some keys for me. So I want you to give us a cool moment of chill. Um, Chris will come up and do that because he's good at that. Just unmute mute him real quick. And I just want to give us a time to respond to God 
in a way that allows God to move not only in my heart, but in your heart, but also our heart corporately as a church family. I want to start practicing what we've been preaching today, which is prayer and the importance of prayer. And so if you know this prayer, it begins with our who art in hallowed. Stop there. So this passage tells us that God's name is holy, reverent, good. It speaks to the nature of God. And it speaks to how you and I then can encounter God right now. So let's pray together as a church family. And let's just tell God how holy he is, how good he is. Speak to him in a very intimate way of what he's done in your life. And let's just spend time doing that so we can prepare our heart for what it really means to be led. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your character, your holiness, God, that we are not holy, but you are, and you live within us. Lord, we just want to set aside spaces at church right now. And if you feel led, church family, you can either pray silently, or if you feel bold enough, pray out loud. And would you just call back to God who he is in your life? God is our provider in all things, in our greatest needs, in our greatest places. What else, church family? Who is he to you? He is the great I am, the one who is undefined. What else, church family? last moment confessing our sin before you search our heart 
there's anything in us that's offensive to you or in a way that we've harmed our brother or sister, bring it to our mind. If we've been far from you, let us sense that you're drawing near to us. You said you never leave us nor forsake us. That's right. And so for those that have anger towards you right now for some reason, for those that have bitterness, for those that are just wounded and hurt by your church, would you allow them to confess that, to be free of it? We thank you and all God's people said, family, as we get ready to leave and depart, uh, I just want to remind you, um, when you pray God's word back to God,